that must be time for Women's Issues, Women's Voices here on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. I am your host tonight, Sarah Catlin, and with me I have brand new author. Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Rosalie Metro. Oh, and that sounds great. You're nice and loud. So Rosalie and I are going to be talking about her novel, which is being released next week. It's called Have Fun in Burma, and it is a... A heck of a read. I stayed up way too late last night finishing it. It was great fun, but also informative. And so we're going to talk about that and her work um, and everything she knows. Not everything she knows. We only have an hour, but a lot of the things I'm she sure knows. I'm sure can fit it in in an hour. Well, I don't know. This looks pretty thick. I learned a lot. But this is talking about Burma and all the different factions. I'm going to use all the wrong words. Feel free to correct me. But it's kind of based in a novel, so it's like edutainment, I felt like. I felt like I was yeah. learning, but it was a painless kind of learning. Was that your intent? Oh, definitely. Okay. Um, so I've done a lot of academic writing and a lot of academic writing about Burma or Myanmar, as it's sometimes called. And I really wanted a different medium in which to express um, ideas and insights that wasn't so much like an argument that I was making that was more open to readers' interpretations. Oh, well, I thought you did that. And so I've read the whole book, but I'm going to do my very best not to give away any big spoilers because I'm assuming that some of you at home are going to be so intrigued by what we talk about this hour that you are going to want to know what happens. My copy says uncorrected advanced reading copy. I felt very special when it came in the mail from the publisher. There are some errors in there. There are also um, a few parts that I cut out. Oh, yeah. (gasps) So I got like the director's cut. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So I may be referring to things that you'll never get to read. That's fun. (laughs) It's just like a paragraph or two. It's usually right at the end of the chapter. You know, I think it's a really common thing for authors to overwrite a little bit Hmm. at the end of each section. Mm -hmm. And there were some parts that when I finally read through it, I was just like doing too much work for the reader. Yeah, so in your mind, you're trying to make it some sort of a transition, like wrapping up that chapter. Right, right, oh, right. that's interesting. Just over-explaining uh-huh. and saying too much. Interesting. I never felt like I was being over-explained to. Hopefully, I'd be smart enough to read the new version. Oh, yeah. yeah but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I taught English uh, composition for a long time, and often students who are not such strong writers or are struggling to write about, you know, their five-paragraph essay or whatever, mm-hmm. they'll start out and the first, whole first paragraph that they think is the introduction is just crud. Like half the time, you can just cross out the first paragraph and go, start here at paragraph two. So it's yeah. interesting. They have the opposite problem. They front load. Yeah, yeah. But I think the problem you're describing existed for me with this novel too. Oh, I think did it? it's like, I think I, I started writing where I needed to start, but that mm-hmm. wasn't where the reader needed to start. Oh. So maybe I should talk a little bit about the plot. Yeah, I would love that. We're definitely getting into yeah. all this. But yeah, so let's talk a little bit. So the novel's called Have Fun in Burma. Mm-hmm. It comes out next week. Yeah. And we will tell you throughout the hour where you might find that. We'll tell you at mm-hmm. least for sure once before the half hour mark and once mm-hmm. at the end. So Yeah, so it's about a young American woman, recent high school graduate mm-hmm. named Adela Frost. And she is just looking to do something with her summer before college. Mm -hmm. And she meets a Burmese person and becomes very intrigued by Burma. And this is, it's set in 2012, right when um, conflicts between Buddhists and Muslims in Burma had started to ignite. So she goes over for the summer to volunteer. She ends up volunteering in a monastery and she becomes very interested in Buddhism. She's teaching English to Buddhist monks. And she discovers that some of them have some 
prejudices towards Muslims, and she's connecting those prejudices to this violence that has broken out in Rakhine State um, and in other parts of Burma, and she's concerned and she's thinking about what she could do to make it better. And so she has some ideas, and we'll leave it to the reader whether those ideas actually make anything better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, you know, it's almost like you've practiced this. <laughs> Or yep, had done. to write a jacket blurb or something. Right. That was good. Yeah, I would agree. That's what I read last night, mostly. Yeah. What I liked is you've got this young girl, and she's been fairly sheltered. To what She kind of goes between Hartford, Connecticut, and she's got a dad in D.C. So she's back and forth. But she's mm-hmm. very young, and she's very white, and, and she's been going to private prep school, which mm-hmm. around here means money, I guess, in all yeah. states that doesn't. But around here, that mm-hmm. would indicate probably some wealth. And so she's really, and she's never been anywhere. She says right. in the novel, I've never, I've been to, what, Canada mm-hmm. once. And with her French class. With her, yeah, from Hartford. So that was like yeah. a drive. They drove, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was really interesting. You, you get, I love these coming-of-age novels where you get um, young people at that sort of crux of the those identity kind of moment, making moments. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, she's 18, so she's really on the line between minor and adult. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it that way, yeah. that the reader would constantly be trying to either excuse her behavior because she was young or mm. hold her to a higher standard because she was an adult, technically, and, mm-hmm. and always be kind of wavering back and forth on mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and that's interesting. I think you succeeded. I did feel like sometimes I thought, sometimes I felt like a mother hen. Oh, don't go there. Don't do that. You know, and then sometimes I felt a little bit like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. You're how old? But, you know, then you remember that she was sheltered and mm-hmm. she's never been anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's no one to guide her I mean, where I she is. I think it's really a hallmark of that period of life. It was for me. And also I, I taught high school for mm-hmm. many years. And so I saw kids kind of on that cusp of adulthood. And I think what really characterizes it is um, inconsistency. So these moments where people are incredibly lucid, incredibly insightful, and then moments where they just seem really clueless and those can happen within the same five minutes yep can we back up now that we've introduced the novel and the thing and talk a little bit about you and your training because i just started at the beginning and i read Mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end and i got to the end and you have this wonderful author's notes um Mm -hmm. that sort of it's just three paragraphs but it kind of gives a little of your background Mm -hmm. which i thought very interesting i thought we could maybe flesh that out a little um but i could tell you were obviously somebody who knew a lot about the subject before i got to the author's note Mm -hmm. but let's talk about what drew you to to write this what your training has been and some of your Mm -hmm. research interests so i got interested in burma when i was in college um back in the late 90s and at that time burma was ruled by a military dictatorship and in that phase of my life, I was very interested in countries that could be freed, and there was a free Burma movement, you know, like free mm-hmm. Tibet. Free I remember Nigeria, free Tibet. That was my generation. Movements, right. Yep. So I sort of latched onto the free Burma movement, and it happened that I was studying history, and I had to choose a topic for like a senior thesis, and so mm. I chose the history of Burma, and then I got really interested in all these different versions of Burmese history and the colonial past. And when I graduated, I ended up spending a little less than a year in Thailand working with refugees, exiles, and migrants from Burma. Mm -hmm. So in a way, similar to the position that Adela was in, um, although I was older than she is in the book. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up going on to do a master's degree and PhD focused on 
um, the way that history is taught in Burma and how history can be a vehicle for reconciliation instead of perpetuating the conflict. Oh, can we talk about that some? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> Burma has a civil war that's still ongoing. It's the longest civil war in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been going on since 1948, so since Burma got independence from Britain. And when the British colonized the area, like they did in so many other parts of the world, they drew boundaries that made sense to them. And a lot of people were included in this new country who might not have felt like they were part of a nation mm-hmm. together. And so that's kind of been the ongoing struggle in Burma to define national identity and who is part of the country and who is not. And certain groups, um, so there are a lot of ethnic minority groups, the Karen, the Shan, Kachin, Kareni, um, Mon, Rakhine, all these different groups Mm -hmm. um, who have either wanted to secede from the country at different points or just wanted more autonomy within a more federalist system. Mm. And um, each of them has kind of a different version of history. So that comes through in the novel. If you're just tuning in at home, you're listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices, and we're talking to Rosalie Metro about her upcoming novel being released next week called Half Fun in Burma. Yeah, I thought she did a great job of not, because it could easily overwhelm the reader. And you probably had people read this before you ever yes. sent it to a publisher to make sure, like, am I saying too many of yeah. these group names? Can you even keep them straight? Because right. it would be so easy to just be overwhelmed by the detail. There were many drafts. Mm-hmm. And my strategy for that was having the reader sort of learn along with Adela. So mm-hmm. she's pretty new to the country. And I had this device where she's writing blogs. Once she mm-hmm. gets to Burma, she's writing blogs and so she has to explain to people back at home what's going on and through that the reader kind of gets a window as well into her how she's processing things yeah yeah and how much that process is not straightforward yeah so the things that she's saying maybe you're kind of correct maybe kind of not so correct in some cases but it's she's doing the best she can with kind of the insights and information that she has yeah, which is very little in some cases. Right. I ran into my friend Allison Kaufelt at lunch today, and yeah. she tells me the two of you are going to be on a panel together at the Unbound Book Festival. But I thought that was such a coincidence because Women's Issues, Women's Voices will be having Allison next month. Oh, she's my awesome. book next month. About awesome. almost exactly a month from now, she's going to come talk about her book. I think it's, I'll look it up while we're talking. I think it's right before the festival. And so listeners at home will have gotten yeah. to hear from you and from Allison, and then they could hear you talk to each other. Because I said to her, I've been thinking of you, Allison, because I've got this book. I had it in my bag. I said, I said, I have this book, and she's on tonight, and it, mm-hmm. your book is right underneath of it. Mm-hmm. And you're both talking about sort of these travel travel mm-hmm. kind of narratives. She's like, oh, yes, yes, we're on a, we're on this unfound thing yeah. together. And I said, oh, great, I'll mention that on air tonight and yeah, on your show. Yeah, that's a really cool connection. I was so glad that um, the director of the Unbound Festival put us on the same panel, because there's a lot of overlap in the issues that we're dealing mm-hmm. with. She's her point of view is different in that it's more of a personal essay but right it's so more, many, more creative nonfiction, i would right, call it right sort of. so while i was i did read her book and it's great um and i highly I recommend it, it. um but i will awesome. but yeah i kept wanting to make notes in the margin like yeah that's how i deal with this issue uh-huh. or there was just a lot of like parallel oh parallels. that's awesome mm-hmm. that's gonna be really interesting for the readers to listen to the mm-hmm. two of you in terms of like what is the role of someone from the U.S. in 
another part of the world that they're not familiar with, but where they really have good intentions and want to help. Mm-hmm. And the bumps in the road along the way in that process. Right. So I did some graduate coursework in folklore. And so a lot of what she was struggling with and the things that you as an author were trying to bring out um, through your narrative, I felt were really smart things. Thinking about that line between observer and observed and trying to respect the people you're observing. And sometimes, you know, like you said, doing something with the best of intentions and it, and mm-hmm. it backfires. So interesting. I'm guessing some of that was probably pulled from maybe your own coursework and your own training as well. Yeah, and from personal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, as I explain in the author's note at the end, mm-hmm. it's not at all an autobiographical Because <laughs> I novel. had to know by the end. I'm like, um, ooh, ooh, and I'm like, oh, okay, she yeah. made it up. All I mean, <laughs> Adela is, she's of a different generation than I am. Mm-hmm. So I first started going to Southeast Asia when I was in my early 20s, and that was like 1999. So it, it, very different things were happening in Burma at that time, and I was not able to go there. So it's not autobiographical, but I think a lot of the feelings that Adela has are feelings that I've had or mm-hmm. interactions that she's had, kind of parallel ones that I have had, for sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm trying to think of more specific questions, but again, being really careful not to give it away. Is it too much to just ask you, do you want to out yourself and just say, here's what I hope people would get from this book as far mm-hmm. as their opinion, my opinion about the whole yeah. conflict. Do you feel like just laying it out there or would you rather people experience the book for themselves? It's really interesting. I think people take very different messages from the book. So I had one uh-huh. Burmese reader mm. who gave a blurb for the book. Um, I didn't it's get not this. on this one. It's nope. on the, on the um, real copy one. that'll come mm-hmm. out. But his view was like, Adela is a heroic character, and she's the only one in the book who's not totally blinded by, like, prejudice against Muslims the way the Burmese characters in the book are. And I was so surprised by that reaction because I would expect most Burmese readers not to sympathize with Adela very much and to see her more as a bumbling American kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and then I've had friends from the U.S. and the U.K. who have been working and living in Burma for a long time who hated Adela. Mm-hmm. And then I think, you know, just found her so, her um, her cluelessness mm-hmm. at times unbearable. Mm-hmm. And then I've had other readers who were so sympathetic with her and were like, she was just trying to do her best. And what else can we do? You know, should we never mm-hmm. go to places mm-hmm. that we're not already experts on? And what if we do want to help? And so, so they were able to re- uh, view her with more empathy yeah, and like really step yeah. into her shoes and see that, I mean, I think it's pretty right. clear her heart was in the right place. Yeah. What was it there? That you probably even remember because you wrote it, the thing about, you know, you have the something and the wisdom. Oh, right. And the, yeah, the three parts. So there's she, this um, Buddhist concept of good intentions produce good results, but only if you have the skill to carry out those good intentions. Yeah. And skill and wisdom what, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes our main character is missing. Yeah, so I I think, I guess, I hope it would be a book that provokes conversation. You know, it might be a little polarizing, but Mm -hmm. I don't want to decide for the reader Mm -hmm. whether what she did was right or wrong Mm -hmm. or what her alternatives might have been. I want people to Mm -hmm. kind of piece it out for themselves. Oh, absolutely, and I think we've said enough about that. I think that that's going to, yeah, anybody who reads the book can still get plenty from it. 
your first chapter was really heavy on the foreshadowing, which is such a classic mm-hmm. trick to like hook people. I thought you did yeah. that very well. Is it okay if I read the last paragraph of the first chapter? Go for it. So, so she's clearly because another thing I want to talk about, which you made me think of it when you're talking about the blog that she's writing, is you had a very tricky structure in the sense of the tenses. Mm-hmm. Did you find yourself struggling with tenses? Well, so the there's a brief three page first. Mm-hmm. part of the book and mm-hmm. it's in the first person mm-hmm. and then the bulk of the book is in the past tense and it's in the third person mm-hmm. and then there's a brief chapter at the end that goes back to the first person and is also in the past tense so mm-hmm. the way I designed the book is that it's in a retrospective voice and mm-hmm. by the end you might wonder who is it who narrated the middle part of the book mm-hmm. Because it's not her. It's clearly the, like the omnipotent kind of, because you're getting her into your thoughts mm-hmm. yeah, and her emotions. Yeah. If it is her, it's the version of her that is... Um, Much later. Later. Because right? it's retro- introspective yeah. and yeah. has all these interesting insights. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's really tricky. And then to complicate that more, when you get to the blogs, she's writing in first person again. Yeah. So you have this, her voice. That's yes. like her current voice, yes. her past voice looking, or her present voice looking at her past actions and having that voice. So I thought it was really kind of masterful and also kind of tricky mm-hmm. how you'd woven all this together. Anyway, I promised a paragraph. So this is one of the hooks uh, I thought from the first section. She says, or maybe everyone around me now is right. I was the one who was hurt the most by my actions. Either way, what I did is done. I was sure I was right in the beginning. And I'm pretty sure I'm right now too. But those two ways of being right feel farther apart than the span of one lifetime can hold. I thought that was a beautiful sentence, the, that youthful conviction of that right is right and wrong is wrong, you know, white hat, black hat. And now she's like, I'm pretty sure I'm right. But that feels a really long ways away from being that sureness, right? Yeah. And I think that's another that's thing that thought. characterizes that... Um, that phase of life, or at least it did for me, mm-hmm. is conviction. I think it's very common. Mm-hmm. Really strong conviction, and then really strong conviction in a totally opposite direction in a way that can be disorienting. Not only for the person themselves, but also for the people around them. Mm-hmm. You kind of tricked me, because early on, I had all these a few of these moments where I was like, uh-oh, I'm like 10 pages in, and this really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid it was you, the author, but then uh-huh. later I realized it was Adela, right? <laughs> like, here's one where I wrote exoticism, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. where you're describing her friend, the Burmese man that yeah. she meets on campus. His hands were so different from her own stubby fingers, different from any hands she had ever seen. You know, there they were, almost like the hands of a different kind of human altogether. And I was like, uh-oh, is that where this novel's going to go? And I thought, and I have to talk to her for an hour. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, this is page seven, seven and yeah. eight in my copy. And so I was like, oh, no, what did I agree to? But then as I kept reading, I realized that's that's part of her development, you know, to show her having that kind of stereotypical exoticism of the other, capital mm-hmm. O. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so interesting to watch her go back and forth between her ideas and ideals and convictions and naive assumptions and then the reality that she's faced with and having to kind of right. get those two things to talk to each other or be mm-hmm. in the same place. So interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I wanted to show her in the early part of the novel feeling that she fell in love with Burma. Mm-hmm. And I have a piece coming out in the LA Review of Books about how it bothers me when travel writers in particular say that as white travel writers, they fell in love with a country full of brown people. Mm-hmm. 
it's really common in travel writing. I just mm-hmm. um, saw something in the New York Times travel section. A fellow was talking about how he fell in love with Vietnam. And it bothers me because it's so reductive. It's like as if you can essentialize a country and then fall in love with it. Yeah. And then and it can be if, one thing. Kind right. Of. And it's like it seems not to matter how the people of that country would feel about you. It's you center yourself as the one who feels love and is in a way becomes the object of desire for that country, even though they're totally unwilling. Right. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to sort of, and it's something that people have often asked me. So did you just fall in love with Burma? Like how did you become interested in Burma? I guess I asked you that in not so many words. Like what's your interest? Right. What's right, the right. De- what's the deal, chick? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why this after yeah. all these years? Because you're an expert. I mean, this is your thing. Yeah, I've done a lot of research um, on Burma over mm-hmm. the years. And I think I've struggled with how to answer that question mm-hmm. of why I was drawn to the country. And I think I was drawn to it honestly for a lot of the reasons that Adela was that it was just really different from what I had experienced um I don't think I would have used the word exotic but that was probably how I felt and then spending time there getting to know people having my assumptions and expectations um kind of mirrored back to me a little bit helped me to see that initial process of falling in love with a country as pretty imperialist fantasy yeah so I wanted to portray how people can really feel that they are falling in love with the country but um, their romanticized idea their construct of it which is very much like falling in love with the person when you're young especially yeah but there are consequences which kind of happens in the novel Mm -hmm. you know I just occurred did you do that on purpose well, I yeah, I, I think that I dual. did. Oh, I right. love it. So I won't give it away, but there's a there's a sort of a love yeah, story. Yeah, so Adela has a mm-hmm. love interest who's a Burmese man, and um, there are so many novels in which a white man falls in love with a woman in a colonized country. For mm-hmm. instance, think Graham Greene's The Quiet American, right? Mm-hmm. And his coming to grips with that country is sort of... Mm, played out through his love affair with a woman and I wanted to reverse that dynamic so that it was a woman falling in love with a country through a man mm-hmm. in a way which um, is much so less it's, I've it's seen no it less but it's problematic much less often. but yeah. it's definitely it's not quite less a stereotype yeah yeah that's so interesting so you have kind of that dual her love for the country and mm-hmm. then it being mirrored in that relationship that was a really neat construct that I didn't even appreciate till I was just sitting here looking at you talking about it if you're just tuning in to Women's Issues Women's Voices we're talking to Rosalie Metro about her upcoming novel Have Fun in Burma and welcome to those of you listening online I see you on my magic map and let me refresh it. oh even more we gained another look at you Miss mm-hmm. Popularity I see hello hello Waterloo hello Columbia Hello, all of you listening online. Hello, hello. And all of you, hello from the past to all of you listening on Radio Free America yeah. in the next two weeks who are now listening to in your time machine to something it's that happens. It's funny. I'm usually on the third Thursday of the month, I'm at Moms Demand Action for Gun oh, Sense in America My friend meetings. Kristen <laughs> right. runs those, and she's been on the show. Mm-hmm. She's an FOS, yes. friend of show. She's welcome anytime. She's awesome. So mm-hmm. I in my Facebook post inviting people to listen I was like if you're not going to the moms meeting 
Yeah. <laughs> and then I was dot, thinking, dot, what dot. is the subset of people in Colombia who would not be interested in Moms Demand Action, but yet be interested in, in my this novel? Topic. Maybe the partners of the people who are yeah. at the Moms Demand Action meeting, or people too sick to get out of bed, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome to all of you. Yes, hello. But- and on that note, I just want to say this is my first time in the KOPN studio. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool. You know, I listen to it all the time. Oh, and yeah? It's great to see all the history here. And it really inspired me to support community radio. Oh, yeah. And send those donations in because it's just like, you know, this place wouldn't exist without a lot of volunteer hours. Mm-hmm. There's so much love. I had a lunch when I was having lunch with a friend and ran into Alice and she's like, yeah, I know so many people. We've been here since 1973, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And she said, I hear these stories for like the 70s and the 80s. And I think, how is that still running? Like after yeah, the craziness that has happened over time, how did pinch of employees and then all these hundreds of volunteers keep that functioning? You know, because it's, really it's kind cool. of a it's kind of a dysfunctional family when you get this many personalities. <laughs> you can imagine, you know, artsy types yeah. and music types, and not everyone sees eye to eye. It's like a big sort of dysfunctional family, but everybody's got to get along because we're yeah. all here for the same reason. It's really interesting to be around here. I got more and more rushed and anxious to finish it as the <laughs> night went on. So the notes are really heavy in the first part of the book, and then they sort of fail. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you about. So you're talking about colonialism, and one thing that I really liked that you did is you have sort of this running parallel with the Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. And I don't think anybody, you could easily read this novel having never heard of Heart of Darkness and you would mm-hmm. get it and you would yeah. be fine. But I wrote in the margin, how interesting would it be to reread that now and be able to read the two novels like really close together or at the same time, which you must have to be making this many references. Yeah, I was very inspired to do that. So Adela is kind of a bookworm and she... Mm-hmm. She loves Heart of Darkness, and then she reads George Orwell's Burmese Days Mm -hmm. while she's in Burma. And so she's kind of seeing her experience through that lens of, you know, while on the one hand she's aware from reading Heart of Darkness that colonizers can be very deluded Mm -hmm. in their ambitions and can really cause a lot of suffering for people that's hard for her to internalize Mm -hmm. as a possibility in her her own own actions yes and you know the book that she doesn't read that she really should is em forster's passage to india Uh uh-huh i love forster yeah the main character also named adela in that book is that on purpose yeah so and then frost i loved it yeah yeah white and (laughs) she so Adela quested and well, I have um, to read that again too. Yeah, in Passage to <laughs> India, she she goes to India and she says, I want to see the real India. Mm-hmm. And at one point Adela makes a similar comment and someone kind of mocks her. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I wanted to put that in because the first time I went to Thailand, I read Passage to India and there was this moment of recognition, you know, of just being seen by an author I felt like how can E.M. Forrester know what I'm feeling a hundred years after he wrote this book Mm -hmm. how can this how can a whole generation have had such similar experiences of coming to um, Southeast Asia or India and having this dream of of seeing authenticity Mm -hmm. or um, having this cultural experience so I wanted to put that in there a little bit yeah, and 
you interesting. You have these other voices. She has this ex-boyfriend, Greg. Yeah, Am I getting the right name? That's him. And good old Greg um, is is like so much more worldly than she is. That he always tells her. You have some beautiful comment early on, and I underlined it where she's like, "He always was good about telling me about the thing, but also how I should feel about it." <laughs> right. You know, like instructing her, and not only yeah. the, the the topic, but what her view of it was. Mm-hmm, he was be sure mm-hmm. be sure that that was clear to her. Right. And so she's you know here she is off on her own for the first time out from under Greg's wing, and she's mm-hmm. having to make up her own mind about mm-hmm. you know what what things mean. But good old Greg, at some point, I loved there was Facebook in here. And I thought yeah. to myself driving around today, like, do you ever worry that 50 years from now, somebody will be reading this book and not know what Facebook is? I don't know. It's definitely a snapshot uh-huh. and not a Timeless, classic. classic. Time, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I, I really wanted to write a book that was of a specific moment. Mm-hmm. Things are changing so quickly in Burma in this transition to democracy that began in 2010. And I wanted to capture something from this moment, mm-hmm. even knowing that it would be hard for people in the future to understand it. So I'm, I'm actually I put the technology you. in. Yeah. Because, you know, I really think Facebook has been around for a while and it's going to mm-hmm. be many generations before people wouldn't at least be familiar with it. Well, it's, it's not like MySpace, which I, was kind of a blank orb. Do you remember Friendster? Right. I do I remember was on Friendster. Friendster. That's but it's how old funny. I, am. I was looking at um, the teenagers from the Parkland shooting uh-huh. and how they've been using Twitter and Instagram. And one of them said, yeah, my, my generation doesn't really use no, Facebook. No, they don't. Like, so Facebook is already Because their parents are that, all on there. Right, exactly. Something that has f- kind of fallen by the wayside. But for a, you know, 18-year-old in 2012, mm-hmm. I thought it was it plausible was really that, important. She would, that she would be into that as a medium. I think so. And I thought that was really interesting. And then, like I said, I had this debate with myself. Would I have put that in there? And I thought, well, yeah, I probably would have. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it will. It, it's, it's been a big enough part of our culture that 100 years from now, people are still going to ne- maybe not have it, but they'll know what it was. Mm, Just like sure. I don't own a record player. A lot of people don't, but they kind of know what one was and what they did, you know. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to date your novel too much. Maybe it will be a classic. Let's not sell it short. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's where I circled still early where she t- she's writing in her blog and she says, the base is decorated with mysterious altars. I'm like, right. oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It gets better. So she's trying to find mm-hmm. a way to talk about mm-hmm. these new experiences and report back to the people at home about what she's seeing and... It's hard to find the right tone. She struggles with her tone a lot. And her teacher even calls in on it because it's supposed yeah. to be kind of her senior project. She had to yeah. leave early. She had right. to miss the last few weeks of class. Mm-hmm. And so the trade-off was, well, if you're going to do this, you have to write mm-hmm. this blog mm-hmm. to complete your senior thesis yeah. or senior points or whatever she needed to do to graduate. And so she's her teacher's giving her feedback now and then. And at one point, her teacher says, okay, this is all nice and all, but this is not your diary. Right. You know, <laughs> and I thought, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, kind of foreshadowing also the oversharing that can potentially happen when people just suddenly find themselves with, you know, on a stage in some way, able to showcase their viewpoints and their opinions. But yeah, I'm glad you brought up Greg because he is the person who says to her, have fun in Burma. (laughs) Um, I think so often we tell young people going off for their month abroad or their whatever they're going to do abroad. their graduation trip or you whatever. have fun and then when they get back we're like so how was it did you mm-hmm. have fun and so much focus is put on their experience being a rewarding experience mm. and not so much focus is put on on the other end how was that for the people oh that's in so the country they were visiting i never did thought to question fun? that from like, that point yeah yeah i mean it's it was such were an you important a good guest 
<laughs> right, and it's such an guess. important experience in my life. Mm. The first time I left the U.S., I actually went to Beirut, Lebanon for a semester. Mm-hmm. Um, this was kind of before I got into Burma, but I was really in over my head in a similar way that Adela was in over her head. And, um, yeah, it's it, I wouldn't have wanted to take back that experience but at the same time boy am I really glad that social media did not exist then so that I was not able to broadcast to the world oh wow the ridiculous things that I was thinking of doing that I was doing yeah I think and you hear that now like these young people today when they go to look for work or whatever it's all there Mm -hmm. all their drunken escapades or you know naive whatever yeah all laid out for their employer to find for sure. Greg is the one that uses the comment, which I loved, where he's, he calls it um, volunteerism. Volunteerism. Instead of yeah. volunteer and tourism, mm-hmm. volunteerism. Mm-hmm. I'd heard of uh, drive-by ethnography. Yeah. I know that one. But volunteerism was new, but it was mm-hmm. such a resplendent term. It was so packed mm-hmm. with stuff. And yeah, and then so you have that kind of resonating in the back, like, is she a yeah. volunteerist? I mean, I think it's become kind of standard for young people in a certain social class to <clears throat> do some volunteering to put on their resume mm-hmm. and someone even says to her at some point or she thinks it's yeah, gonna look great on my resume it will. even it though will. my heart's broken it's gonna mm-hmm. look great on my resume i think we are encouraged to look at our lives in those terms and at that age especially poor thing right 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 and it is a kind of tourism in a way you know in designing those programs i think it's a real challenge to make them directed by the community that's receiving the volunteers and not directed by the needs of the volunteers Mm -hmm. you know for instance volunteers want to do things that they can see they want to like build a school or build a latrine or build something that they can take a picture of Mm -hmm. when perhaps that might not be the most useful thing that they could do for that Um, people and that area right right it's a i admire people who are working to build programs that really challenge kids and really um, help communities. I know we have the Be the Change mm-hmm. organization here in Columbia, and when I used to teach high school, my students would go to that. And you know, I think there are a lot of people who try to design very thoughtful programs for young people. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, sometimes that does not happen, and mm-hmm. they're just kind of dropped in with not that much guidance about what is appropriate and what's not. And that feels a little bit like what happened to your protagonist. Yeah, right. And, and partly because, and we haven't said this part yet, it's she gets sent to a monastery, well, maybe we mentioned it briefly, yeah. she's sent to a monastery, and yeah. she thinks she's going to be teaching children, but she actually, mm-hmm. it turns out most of the time she's teaching male adult monks who right. speak don't speak good, great English to improve their English so that they can interact with the tourists who come in and do these yeah. meditation uh retreats like 10 day retreats from all over the world and they want to be able to converse better with their guests yeah so it's sort of a misunderstanding in a way that leads her to be posted there Mm -hmm. but she doesn't understand that until pretty late in the book Mm -hmm. because my experience of i mean that's true to my experience of a lot of places i didn't know well is people don't always say things directly and straight out Mm -hmm. you know i think one thing that distinguishes my experience of american culture or the way i came to see it after being in a lot of other places is that we really value quote honesty and Mm -hmm. directness Mm -hmm. um and in a lot of other cultures for instance my experience of burmese culture 
people are expected to pick up on signals that are a little more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. So someone might not say, do not do this. They might just hint in different "Eh." ways or say, "Um, it's not going to work out today, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. But they don't want to tell you no, or they don't want to tell you not to, but they'll just sort of talk around it or dissuade you a little bit. And Adela is not attuned to those signals because that's not the way I forget, what was it that she said to... Say the man's name. Is it Ko O? Oh, Ko U. Mm-hmm. Ko U. Yeah. So she asked him about something. Oh, it's okay now. And he goes, well, and I have a yeah, feeling right. that his hand went side to side. Uh-huh. But he said, well, and was that one of those moments where like, yeah. he really, if he's an American, would have said, don't ever mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. that. But right. instead he's like, well, and she takes him at his word that right. it was well, not don't do that. Yeah. Or something about something that so, she should or shouldn't do when mm-hmm. she, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this moment when she's preparing to leave for Burma and there's this, um, man who worked in the cafeteria of her prep school that's rolling right. sushi which is a very common occupation for burmese people in the u.s mm-hmm. and he says to her be careful and she says oh d- you know don't worry about me i'm gonna be fine and in one of those retrospective moments it's not till much later that she realizes he may have been telling her to be careful for other people's sake mm-hmm. and not just for her sake and and meant it more seriously. He wasn't right. just saying like, "Oh, be careful." He was saying, "No, yeah, be careful." Right, right, right. <laughs> oh man. So if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Rosalie Metro about her book, "Have Fun in Burma." I always try to remember to say that. Hi, this is Mary McCaslin, and you sure are lucky to be listening to eighty-nine point five FM KOPN Columbia. I'll just say that yeah, if you're interested your in buying my book. <laughs> You can buy it locally here at the Yellow Dog Bookshop. Should be coming in later this month. Yay. And then also on on the internet on IndieBound. So I got a nice review in Forward Reviews, which does a lot of reviews of independent publishers. And um, so I was glad to see it there. You can also get it on Amazon, but why not give the love to those smaller places that yeah. we all cherish? especially Yellow Dog Books. Mm-hmm. They do a bitchin' story time for kids, yeah, just so you know. for sure. Um, anyway, so we've got just a little bit of time left. You gave me over email this wonderful list. I don't know how many of these things we want to even... Mm-hmm. I just thought it might come up, and I didn't yeah. want to spring it on you and have you be like, oh, I wish mm-hmm. I had looked that up. I'm just going to hand you your list back. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there any of that, that, and I'll let you look at it, that mm-hmm. you, you feel like you want to name check on air? Yeah, so Sarah had asked me um, where listeners could go for more information about the Rohingya crisis in Burma, which we mm-hmm. haven't actually talked too much about. Mm-mm. So since I wrote the book and since the um, since 2012, when the book is based earlier in 2017, that crisis really took on epic proportions. So hundreds of thousands of people were forced over the border into Bangladesh, huge humanitarian crisis. And a couple of the organizations that have been keeping track of that, um, one is Fortify Rights International. Um, Human Rights Watch also has a lot of information. Um, Based inside Burma, there's a media outlet called Frontier Myanmar. And one thing that's so interesting is that this conflict gets really different coverage inside Burma than it does outside Burma. So outside Burma, um, the international media has been very sympathetic with the Rohingya people. Mm-hmm. Inside Burma, a lot of Burmese Buddhists who are from the majority ethnic group, the Burmans, um, have felt more like some of them don't even use the word Rohingya. They don't think that the Rohingya is a, a real thing. ethnic group. Mm-hmm. 
and they hmm. think that the conflict has been much more two-sided and there you know there have been um there's a rohingya sort of um, armed group that has sprung up and has been interacting with the Myanmar military. So if you want a different perspective on the conflict, the Irrawaddy Media Group will offer you that different perspective. Um, Hannah Beach recently wrote an excellent piece in the New York Times about the blurry line between fact and fiction in the Rohingya crisis mm-hmm. and about her challenge as a journalist in finding true stories too right yeah um true right quote unquote and it's such an issue right right capital t true but yeah true true to who so sarah was asking earlier in the program how much of my view is in the book and i think one place where i recently consolidated that view is in this um site called the t-circle blog and i wrote about how we can oppose ethnic cleansing while not resorting to really simple answers like seeing the complexity of the situation but at the same time really saying no to the humanitarian crisis that's going on if people want to help the rohingya people i've heard really good things about the bangladesh-based ngo brac b-r-a-c they have a really high Mm. rating in yeah charity right um charity world Where they do all the fill out the thing and how much the money every how many pennies of every dollar actually go to the recipients and that sort of thing they're amazing and also there's a educational NGO based in Burma called Motu M O T E O O, and they pro- they publish peace education materials. Mm-hmm. And I really think that peace education has to be a part of the solution to this conflict. So shout out to them. Which I won't give away too much away, but that's sort of the approach that Adele takes. Yeah. Sort of, it's mm-hmm. an educative. She's trying to middle do some ground. peace education. Yeah. She is. Yeah, she tries. Mm-hmm. And maybe she does. We can't say that she didn't. Yeah. Plus, it's all fiction, so it didn't really happen. Right. <laughs> but no, you know, I really love this. This is probably something that that whole part of the world I know so little about. And I feel like as an American publicly schooled child, my education, even my American history is spotty, right? Yeah. I was in college. I was a graduate student. And I said I would write an entry for the encyclopedia, uh, the literary biography thing on Toshio Mori. And I'm like researching, he wrote Yokohama, California, and mm-hmm. I researched it. I had to call my parents. I'm like, Dad, did we have internment camps uh, in California yeah. for Japanese? And I was like 20 years old. Yeah. I'm like, I had never heard of this. I felt really cheated. I yeah. was like top of my class. How did this never come up, even in a footnote, the entire time I was in school? Right, right. You Pop know, gets so, left out of the history yeah. books. And so, I mean, if my own country, I don't even know, my... Inter- my international or you know global education was much worse. So I loved your novel for how it really kind of, which I'm sure was was your aim, made personal um, and gave us some faces and some names and some stories, which makes it so much easier to grapple with when you right. have all these different factions. Yeah. To, to kind of get drawn into the the conflict and who who's who and what's what and kind of care about they're not even really people is a silly thing. Right. Fiction's so wonderful that way, but to start to care about conflict that really is affecting real people. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear it. You know, when I was writing the book, I started in 2014. And at that time, the conflict in Burma between Buddhists and Muslims really had not gotten much press. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was hoping to kind of draw attention to it and let people know what was going on. And as it happened, the crisis became so bad in the past year that there's been a huge amount of international attention to it. So Uh it's both gratifying to see that attention and also um as adela as one of the characters hints at the end of the book 
media attention can also have really mixed effects on people's lives. Right. And the say, she mentions the almost that. Yeah. Um, has been, you know, journalists are doing the best they can to understand a complex situation. Mm-hmm. But I, there's been a lot of backlash within Burma about international coverage and Burmese people feeling like international journalists are not understanding the conflict very well. Mm. It's a hard thing to get a handle on, as Adela could tell you. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then and then whose version, right? Like right. and then anything you tell, there's gonna be somebody who has kind of a different what's made obvious from the novel, what made it yeah. obvious to me, you know, a different version or different idea of what's really going on. I'm just double checking. So we've got Alison Kaufelt has that book that's really similar. Uh, in theme, mm-hmm. and I'm just double checking which week in April. I hope it's no. Uh, it's April 26th, and the Unbound Book Festival is April 20th. Mm-hmm. So we'll consider this an appetizer, an order. Yeah, come on out to our panel, and, and we're then with go to the panel. Novelist as well, and then we'll have novel about Rwanda. I think. Yeah, we'll have dessert on women's issues, women's voices, the Thursday after yeah. Unbound with Allison. And we'll hear her. We can hear the pre-version mm-hmm. before you've met of you, and then we can have her report back on how that went. So I looked at the Unbound Book Festival website. It's just um, www.unboundbookfestival.com. Yeah, there's right. no actual schedule. Mm-hmm. So I, if I had it, dear, dear listeners, I would tell you it's this time, this date. Yeah. Go listen to them. Um, if I do see that before, um, before it occurs, I will certainly announce it on air. Before we go, I want to thank you for your time and for your novel. It's wonderful. And for coming and spending an hour talking about it with me. This has gone very fast. I was like yeah. actually moderately concerned we'd have enough to talk about. I always <laughs> do that. But tonight, more than many other nights, I felt like we could have talked yeah, much it was longer. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so best of success, Yellow Dog Bookstore, or mm-hmm. books, it's just books. Yellow Dog Books on 9th at near 9th and Broadway is going to have copies later this month. Or what was the Indie, indie oh, Bound? Oh, Indie Bound? Indie Bound. It's a website I wasn't familiar with, mm-hmm. but it's affiliated, I think, with forward reviews. So okay. if something's on that review site, then you can get it on IndieBound. That's really cool. And I'll make a note and I'll go to the Women's Issues Women's Voices page and I will post I will post a link to IndieBound and I will also post um, some of these websites yeah, that Rosalie great. was telling us about um, just so that you've got that there for your reference if you want to look into more of them. And you'll have that there because you should be our friend and you should like us if you're a Facebooker. If you're not a Facebooker, that's fine. Not everyone is. But if you are, you should definitely be our friend on Facebook and like Women's Issues, Women's Voices. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Many thank yous for coming and being here tonight. Thank you, dear listeners, for uh, listening. And tune in next Thursday. We'll have some other exciting, fun, happy stuff going on here on Women's Issues, Women's Voices. Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's listener-supported.
Community Radio.